unexpected uh, issues today um, with tech, but it's um, just thank you for your patience. We're sort of, it's church in motion, and we're so grateful that our problem is, uh, Lord, how do we make space for people? Um, that's, that, that's something that we always pray for, and we say, may that always be a problem in our lives, because there's more people in the city who don't yet know Jesus, um, and that's what we want to be about. So we're just so grateful, um, and thank you for that. There's also a number of people getting baptized. I think we have seven getting baptized today, uh, my daughter being one. I can't wait, uh, and many others. And so what we're going to do is straight after the service, before tea and coffee, we're going to quickly go on a short walk, all of us. I would love everybody to be there because there's something so special about baptism. To the baby pool, which is just across the field, we'll quickly do that all together and celebrate everyone getting baptized then come back for tea and coffee. So I'd love us all to be there. It's going to be a really special celebration. Uh, before I dive in, I don't necessarily want to single people out, but I try and be obedient on these things. Um, I'd love to pray for, pe uh, for people groups, two people groups, two um, things people are dealing with, if you're brave enough to, to share, if there is anyone like that. The first one is um, anyone who has a problem with I don't know if it's an eye cataract, if that's what you would call it, or a problem with the shape of your cornea or something, an eye issue to do with that. If that's you, I would love us to pray for the Lord to heal that. And then also, I just had a picture of, I don't know if it was hiking or climbing or running, but a very clear picture of somebody either rolling their ankle, and it doesn't have to be recent, this could be years ago, or a knee or something, but definitely running or it seems like hiking slash mountainous things, but I could be wrong. And it hasn't been the same since. And I'd love to pray for the Lord to heal that there. So those two things, anyone that relate to at all, be brave if you want. Sheesh, a few of you guys. One, two, three. And at the back as well. Amazing. Okay, so those who put up your hands, please can you just raise them higher once more? I want people to turn around and lay hands on you because awesome. Good bravery there. I love it. Okay. There's a few hands here, so you guys can, people around, I'd love you to lay hands. If this is new to you, um, something special that we do or what we say. But Jesus said, lay hands on people, and he brings us healing. Something happens, um, there's power of touch. And so at the back, if your hands are up, over here, was that Kate? Great. So people around there, Kate, others over here, and we're just going to pray. Oh, there you go, Mary as well over there. So be anyone who doesn't have anyone around them, anybody at the back, this is a good time to move around and stretch. Um, Anyone who's missing? No, last chance. Great, we're just going to pray. Nothing special that um, we say, but thank you so much for being brave enough to put up your hands. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the healer. We love doctors, we celebrate doctors, we celebrate medicine, but you are the supernatural healer. You're the God above any of those things. Thank you for highlighting these people um, with issues with... Um, ankles or knees from a, from a running thing with a problem with, um, with eyes. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would come upon them now with your healing power. Pray that from the top of their heads to the bottom of their feet, your healing would flow over them. We don't pray in any other name except yours, Jesus. You told us to lay hands on the sick, to pray for healing and We've seen many of those miracles amongst us in the past bit, and we, we just trust that you would do something special in their bodies right now at this moment, that eyes that have been painful, where vision has been blurred, where um, you know, the shape of the eye hasn't been right, I pray that you would just bring that into alignment and that it would be perfect and whole. For people with uh, knee issues and maybe considering surgery or have had surgery with ankles, 
from a running accident. Pray that you would line up and fix and restore tendons or muscles or bone or you know what's wrong. You're the ultimate physician. So would you touch these people in a special way? Just as a testimony to the greatness of who you are, to the love that you have for us. And so we trust you for that. We trust for amazing testimonies in your powerful, wonderful name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. If God um, did something and did something even as you sit here, if you don't feel anything instantly, that's okay. Keep trusting God and keep enjoying Him. Really had such a sense of Him being here with us. And so we keep stepping out in these things. Brilliant. So today we are starting a three-part series. Well, today, next week, and Easter, a three-part run into the Easter service. Today we're going to look at something called Tears in the Garden. Uh, I'm I'm really excited, challenged to preach on it today. Next week, we're going to look at Eyes on the Cross, and then uh, we're going to do Death to Life on Easter Sunday. And whether you're exploring faith here today, you've been invited by friends or family because of baptisms, or you heard about church from a friend or social media, um, if you're exploring faith, today and these next three services will give you a great picture of who Jesus is, what he's like, and what the Christian faith is all about. And if you've been a Christ follower for many years, This Easter time is such a special moment for us to once again fix our eyes on what it's really all about. It's so easy for life to get carried away, for us to let the main thing not be the main thing in our faith. This helps us to set our eyes again on what really matters most. And so I'm I'm thrilled at what I I believe God's going to do. So we're going to dive into this, Tears in the Garden. The events that we're going to look at are recorded in all the biographies of Jesus. So they're called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These were uh, friends and colleagues who lived with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, and then wrote about his life. And so as happens when we all witness events, we we focus on slightly different things. If someone witnesses a car accident or a sports event, you might notice different things about the athletes, but you'll know at the end of the day exactly who won and and who didn't. So the story needs to line up, but you might focus on slightly different things. We see that in the Gospels. We're going to learn some key things about Jesus in these next few verses that can help us greatly no matter what we're going through. What we're going to look at today, you see Jesus in his most vulnerable, as fully God, fully man, his most emotionally bare before us, and that really helps us if we're going through trials and if we're going through difficulties. And so, to set the scene, it's the Passover in Jerusalem. This was, is a Jewish holiday celebrating the Israelite escape from the captivity in Egypt. And the word Passover comes from what happened where these different plagues had come upon uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptian people because he didn't want to let them go. They were in slavery. And the final uh, notice, effectively, was given to him by Moses. And Moses said, the firstborn of everybody is going to die who doesn't do something um, if you don't let the Israelite people go. And what the Israelite people and anybody else invited into needed to do is they had to take the blood of a lamb and they had to paint it on a doorpost. And that was actually a picture of the cross to come, the blood of the ultimate lamb, Jesus. But if they painted that blood on the doorpost of their home, when the angel of death swept through and the firstborn of everyone who didn't have that blood on their doorpost died, they would be safe. And so the Passover, the angel of death, passed over the homes of the Israelite people who had that blood. And so this is celebrated to this day. Um, And it was after that event that Pharaoh finally released the Jewish people. And so Jesus is now celebrating this moment with his disciples. And in the days leading up to this, he's been telling his followers, I'm about to die. 
my time is coming to a close. I'm going to be handed over. And his followers don't really understand what he's talking about. But what do you mean? You're God. We've seen the miracles. Jesus, this doesn't make any sense to us. What are you talking about? They're asking these questions. And Jesus had the Passover meal with his closest friends. They've been in an upper room. They've shared this meal together. Before that, he's washed their feet. So the king of kings washed his disciples' feet. They would have been dirty from walking around all the time. Usually servants would do this. Slaves would do this. But Jesus did it, the king of kings, who had stepped down into our world to prove just how much he loved them and how he came to serve us, to give his life for us. So a beautiful picture that he had shown them. And then he institutes something called the Lord's Supper for the first time. He gets them together and he gets this loaf of bread or this bit of bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. And they would still be questioning, going, what exactly is he meaning by this? And he takes a cup of wine and he says, this is my blood shed for you. Talking about the cross to come. And we'll look at this a lot more in depth as we get um, into the message next week. But he's just done this. And we pick up the story after this, straight after this Passover meal and uh, the Lord's Supper. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to Mark 14. Uh, if you don't, it's going to be on the screen there. You might see it. <laughs> you might not. Um, but if you can't read, you'll hear fine. Uh, or if it's on your phone, go for it. This is what it says. We just want to start. And when they'd sung a hymn, they closed off their meal. They went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives, we're going to keep coming back to this through the message. I just love what I, I thought the Holy Spirit brought out from this as I prepared. But it was just outside Jerusalem. And there was a place believed to be at the foot of the Mount of Olives or, or very close to it, almost part of the Mount of Olives, called the Garden of Gethsemane. And this garden had a special place in Jesus' heart. Often during his life on earth, he would retreat to this garden to spend time with his heavenly father. It was a place of solitude when the crowds were too much and everyone was pressing in for, for healing and those sorts of things uh, to, to find out more about who he was, his teaching. He would retreat to get some time alone to rest and refresh. I wonder how many of us have a special place where we spend time with the Lord. Sure, we can talk to the Lord all the time. But if you don't have it out, ask God. Maybe it's uh, your study. Maybe it's uh, under a tree outside in your garden. Maybe it's when you're driving in the car. Uh, maybe, maybe you have the special place where you just feel that bit closer to God there than anywhere else. I remember talking to P.S. Peace, uh, who used to play for South Africa rugby. He um, has, uh, he, the place he says he feels closest to God is like a cupboard in his house. So that's what he does. He's like filled up the cupboard with like different things about who God is and stuff. And that's where he goes. He sits or stands in this cupboard by himself. And he just says, I just feel so close to God in this cupboard. It's like prayer cupboard. And uh, maybe some of you have places like that. But it's, it's important for us to have special places where we can be alone with God. So for Jesus, this was his place. This was the place on earth. He walked to the Father all the time. But this was a place that, that was special in his heart. That he felt so close to the Father. So that's where they're at. And now it says, verse 27. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Peter's always the one who says things before he thinks. That's Peter. I probably do that fairly often sometimes as well. But Peter just went for it. He was the first to say things and he thought about things later. So uh, he says, even though they all fall away, all of these disciples over here, they're going to fall away, Jesus. But not me. I will never do that. My friends around here, yes, they will, but I won't. That's how Peter used to talk. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me. Not you might, you will deny me three times. 
But he said, Peter, emphatically, if I must um, die with you, I will not deny you. They all said the same. All the disciples, Jesus, there is no way. We know that you're God. We are never going to deny knowing you. Sadly for uh, each of them, they, uh, they had errors when it came to that. So anyways, they all said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, so the garden. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Sit down here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, his closest friends. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. So he has his greater collective. He takes across his three closest and uh, he, he now really starts to bear his soul to them. And the first thing I want to pick up on in the story is that Jesus knows everything, and yet he loves you and I anyway. He knows everything about you and me. He knows the hidden things of our heart. He knows the things about us that no one else knows. He knows our frailty. He knows when we mean well and we're going to fail. And regardless of any of that, he loves us anyway. He chooses a relationship with us anyway. He knew that he'd be arrested. He knew that his disciples, the sheep, would scatter. Even though Peter was adamant he wouldn't, Jesus knew that at his moment of greatest need, his closest friend would deny he even knew him. He knew that. He's God. He knew everything ahead of time. These men who had seen the miracles, they had walked and talked together with Jesus. They had lived together. They had laughed together. They had seen him walking on the water. They'd seen him calm the storms. They'd seen him feed thousands of people from a few loaves and fish. And he knew that when he needed them most, his friends would say, we don't even know him or run away. But yet he loved them anyway. He still drew them aside and said, be with me. Pray with me. I still want you close, even though I see your imperfections. Jesus knows that we will let him down and he loves us anyway. He knows we will fail. He knows we will do what we shouldn't do. We'll do the things that we don't want to do. And yet, in the midst of how much sorrow and pain that causes him, he still says, be with me. I want you as a friend. I want you close. Astounding picture of his love for us at one of the hardest places in his life. That's the love of Christ towards us. In his greatest need, he pours out his heart of love to us. If you feel that you've messed up too badly for God today, if you feel that the things in your past and the things in your history or what you're involved in now is just too great a thing for God to forgive, there's no ways he would love you. He does. And he always will. And he wants you to draw close to him. So then he takes, as I said, his closest friends in the world a bit further. And now his emotion really begins to pour out. That's why I called this tears in the garden. He really starts to pour it out. He's greatly distressed. He probably says to Peter, James, and John, I'm utterly heartbroken. I'm fearful. He knew what lay ahead. He knew what the cross was going to be like. Every strike of the whip, every nail through his body, he knew what the pain was going to be like. The crown of thorns pushed into his head. He knew it ahead of time. And the emotion starts to get the better of him. And he has his three closest friends, and he really just opens up. He breaks down in front of them. He says, I know what lies ahead, and I don't want to do it. Just stay awake with me. Pray with me. Be with me. I just need your support. I need your close support. My soul is sorrowful to death. I think it's probably the lowest anyone can go to say that your soul is sorrowful to death. Jesus is bearing his heart to his friends. He longs for their comfort and support. And Dave, those of you who were here two weeks ago, Dave spoke on community, the importance of us being friends together, of knowing each other, of carrying each other's burdens. 
If you don't have that yet, if you don't have close friends in Christ, we've got amazing connect groups. They happen every week across the city. You can sign up, a place to really be vulnerable with each other, to ask for support, to do life together, not in the crowd. We'll never live the life we're supposed to in a crowd. We need to have friends. That takes being vulnerable and, uh, and allowing others to be vulnerable with us. And so if you're not part of that, if you're sort of just attending but you aren't going deeper, sign up for a connect group today. We aren't meant to do life alone. And Jesus, God in the flesh, showed us that we need people. That's what he was trying to show in the garden. He was showing God at my point of need. I choose to have people around. We should do the same. Let's read on a bit further. Verse 35. Going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. If we read in Luke 22, it says the same thing. It describes the same event. Luke 22, verse 41. It says he withdrew about a, stown, a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Next thing I want to say is Jesus was like us in every way, yet always faithful to the Father. Like us, human in every way, yet always faithful to the Father. He goes a little bit by himself. He heads off. He says, you three, my closest friends, stay here. The, the other disciples are a bit further off. You, you see the drift. A bit further off, three with him closer. And then he heads off by himself to be with God. We need friends. We need close friends. But more than anything, we need God. If you're here and you're going, life's fine. Life's going great. And I've got my great buddies and everything else. That's fine. We need those. We need our close friends. But more than anyone, particularly in our point of need, we need to be in the presence of the Father. It's what we need. It's what we all need. We need to learn to do that. And so he kneels down. He falls on the ground. He prays. Gives this picture of desperation before his Father. Pure anguish and pain. He says, Abba. We've shared this before, but the closest translation in English is Daddy. It's Dad. That's the closeness he had. The eternal Father and the eternal Son. And so he cries out, Daddy, for help and strength. See, as I shared earlier, he could envision being God every single lashing that he had faced, every chunk of his back pulled out, every thorn getting pushed into his skull, every nail going through, every struggle for breath as he suffocated on the cross, every mocking word. He knew this, and he could see it ahead of time. He knew it was coming. He's for us as people, sure, trial and tragedy is terrible. It's horrific, but we don't know it's coming. We don't see it ahead of time. For Jesus... All the more worse, being able to see and know exactly what was going to happen to him ahead of time. And so the greatest pain of all is summed up in this phrase. It says there, if at all possible, remove this cup from me. Now, the cup in Scripture is actually used most often to represent the wrath of God. And this is what was most painful for Jesus, experiencing the wrath of God. You see, what happened on the cross is the full wrath of God against sin, yours, mine, and all humanity was poured onto Christ on the cross. This would be the first and only tearing apart, temporary severing of the relationship between the eternal Father and the eternal Son. We'll look at this more next week. But the Father turned his back on his Son. He turned away. Everything went dark. The Son felt isolated from his 
eternal father because of the weight of sin. The wrath of God poured out for your sin and mine. Every evil thought you've had, every word you've spoken that hasn't been right, every action you and I have and will commit against God was poured out on Jesus on the cross. That's the cup he wanted taken away. Sure, the, the, the physical pain, but more than anything, the spiritual, emotional pain of what that separation from the Father would mean to him. That's what he held most dear. Next week, what's going to be so incredible is we're going to see that in Christ, we receive an entirely different cup. You see, Jesus received the cup of wrath for the sin, for your sin and mine, so that we could have a relationship with him. But we received this cup of grace. And he was showing it to his disciples at the first supper when he took another cup with wine. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. And so we receive, we have the opportunity to receive an entirely different cup. A cup of love and of grace and of forgiveness for all time. The contrast is immense. So be prepared for that. It's a wonderful gift. But that gift that's wonderful to us was an incredibly costly gift for him to give. Who would be willingly prepared to go through the agony of the cross everything in jesus wanted to back out this is where we see his humanity he felt the same as us it wasn't like because he was god suddenly he had an injury and just <laughs> sorted we had a lashing and suddenly it disappeared and the guys lashing and we're like what oh, oh let's just do it again oh no keep healing no he submitted himself to us when he's a teenager he probably had spots on his face he stubbed his toe he submitted himself to bodies like this so he was like us in every way so when he went to the cross he felt it the same as you and i feel those sorts of things so he went through the agony saying father dad is there no other way everything's possible for you he says in that scripture surely there's another way to make this go away but being god he knew there was none if we were to be saved from our sin there had to be payment for evil there had to be someone perfect to bridge the gap between your and my brokenness and between the perfection of God. You and I can think that we're pretty good people. But as I've said often, I can guarantee you, if we were to put a, a DVD of everything you've thought and said, just the past seven days for everybody in church to watch, I don't think there's any of us who would happily say, no problem. Everybody watch the movie of my thoughts and my words. None of us. We know there's mess in our hearts, mess in our minds. And the only one who could bridge that gap so that we could have a relationship with a perfect God is the perfect son this was the road he knew he had to follow to save you and me the writer luke you'll notice there uh, in that verse it's so interesting it says being in anguish he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground now luke was a doctor he was a physician so he focused on this which others didn't focus on because of his profession when it says his sweat was like drops of blood, we can't be sure if Jesus actually sweated blood because the scripture says like blood rather than saying his sweat became blood. But interestingly enough, there's a condition that exists called hematidrosis or hemodrosis, which can happen to people who suffer the most extreme levels of stress. What happens is, and I, I check this out, various medical things, there's net-like blood vessels that encircle our sweat glands forehead and everywhere else and under extreme emotional turmoil these um, blood vessels around our sweat glands under pressure can rupture and so actually we have this mixture of sweat and blood that pours out our glands in the greatest levels of stress and I think that's probably what was happening to Jesus is there was this mixture of sweat and blood pouring out 
as he experienced the most emotional turmoil that anyone can because of what lay ahead. But he still said yes to the father. I don't know what you're going through right now, this moment. We can all put on a brave face with uh, people that we meet. We can all say, how's your week? Oh, it was great. Well, usually in our culture, busy, but good. Um, we sort of think busyness means effectiveness. It doesn't, but we sometimes think it does. Anyway, I don't know what it's been like, and we can put on a brave face, but I want you to know that whatever you're going through or have gone through or will go through, there is one who knows your turmoil and has been through worse. There is somebody who understands. His name is Jesus. He knows your pain. And when you feel that life can't get any worse, I want you to think about Jesus' tears in the garden. I want you to think about his brokenness and the extent he was prepared to go for you and me. And that will help and be such a source of strength for you and I. The eternal son submitted to the plans of the father, not because he had to, because he desired to for our sake. He understands, he knows. In your most broken moment, he loves you. Maybe you're not a Christ follower here today. You're exploring faith. I want you to know there's a God who understands and he will understand and he'll keep understanding. When you feel you've let him down and he could never accept you again as his disciples felt, he'll love you again and again. His tears of anguish shed, were shed in the garden for you and me. He's felt what you're feeling now and more and he's here now. He's present now to take on that which you feel. Then the supernatural support comes, getting towards the end, uh, as this angel comes to strengthen him. Imagine this angel coming alongside him. Angels, incredibly powerful messengers, uh, tools in the hands of the Father, came to strengthen him. I can imagine the angel getting alongside and saying, Jesus, you can do this. The Father's with you. The whole host of angels are with you. We're here. We're cheering you on. You can do this. You might feel that you don't want to, but... There's additional comfort and support. I'm here to help. Your father's close. And I believe that that angel may well have looked on from heaven where just a few moments or minutes later, as Jesus' captors come, he's been betrayed by Judas, his captors come into that garden. And, uh, and as they're getting a bit, or, or, or thinking his disciples want to get violent, Jesus says, and they've all come with clubs and stuff to arrest him. He says, don't you guys think? that I could just call on 12 legions of angels now to sort out this battle once and for all. I imagine that angel who was by his side was probably like, come on, Jesus, send us. We'll sort out these guys. But he had a mission to do. And he had a mission to fulfill for you and for I. There was a bigger battle ahead, a more important battle, the battle against sin. So the final thing I'll speak on is a costly mission, but a certain hope. Jesus said, not my will, but yours. Submitting to the Father was always Jesus' heart. The Father's plan always trumped his. He was focusing on honoring the Father above everything else. So in a mind-bending way, God submitted to God. The Son in the flesh, fully man, fully God, submitted to the plans of God. He stepped down from heaven, took on our frailty, feeling our pain, submitted his heart, soul, and body to the will of the Father to see you and I saved. That was the mission that he would not back down on, no matter the cost. He was prepared to do that for you and I. And there's so much we can learn from this. I wonder if your heart cry and mine truly is not my will, God, but yours. It's easy to say it, and it's easy to say it when life is going well, when our bank accounts are full, when relationships are going well, when our children are all fine, when we're feeling fit and healthy and our bodies are going good. It's really easy then to say, oh, of course, Jesus. Going to church is easy and oh, not my will, but yours. I love following you, Jesus. It's easy then. I just wonder when things are difficult, when the rubber really hits the road, if our hard response is, Lord Jesus, 
no matter what, I want to follow you and not myself. If our eyes stay fixed on him. Friends, there's a cost to following Jesus, but the society in which we live says you must always follow comfort. That's the society we live in. Follow comfort. That is your greatest focus. Put all your efforts towards comfort. There's something more important and more fulfilling. That's purpose that comes from following Christ. Following Jesus is worth it. It's eternally worth it. There will be breakthrough on the other side of your obedience. I can guarantee it. There will be breakthrough. There will be growth on the other side of your obedience to Christ. So don't short circuit the mission that Jesus has called you to. Don't short circuit it. God's will to see people saved from their sin. Friends, family, strangers. As I said, maybe you're here today and you don't know God. There'll be a time for us to pray afterwards for you to give your life to Christ. But in our neighborhoods and in our school circles and our city, there are many who don't yet know the truth that Jesus died for their sin. And that's the mission God's called us to. That's more important than any other shadow mission that you and I can have. When it comes to God, there is always hope on the horizon. As I close, there's something so special about the garden, about the Mount of Olives. In the midst of these tears in the garden, ahead lay the most incredible hope. Jesus knew that on the other side of the cross was a point of great joy. The mission would be successful. They'd be celebrating. Eternal death would be defeated on the cross once and for all. He would sit once again at the right hand of his heavenly father for all eternity. And this garden, this garden of tears would in a few short days be called the garden of ascension. Because this would be the place where once Jesus died and rose again and then walked with, um, with family and friends for, for a number of days after his resurrection, we'll hear about that death to life. This was the same place where he would have his final words before going to heaven. Look what happened. We see it in Acts 1 verse 8 to 10. He says, but you will receive power. This is him talking to them. I wonder if it was in the same place where he cried these tears. It was definitely on the Mount of Olives. He says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men in white robes, the angels, maybe the same angel that was there. (laughs) There's thousands of angels. I'm just hypothesizing. But uh, angels came to them and said, men of Galilee, Why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus, this one who was there before you, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. There's another time that God will stand on the Mount of Olives, tears in the garden before the cross, heading up to heaven as you went from there. Are you all okay? That's how I'll just, I'll pray. Is that Gwen? Well, you guys, while Gwen is heading out, let's just, it is Gwen, hey? Sorry, Sydney. Oh, Sid, cool. Sorry. Let's pray as uh, Sid's heading out right now as well. Just that she feels so much better. Lord Jesus, just as we're talking now for Sid as she heads out with Cam, pray that right now, where she's feeling ill, where she's feeling unwell, where she's not feeling right, pray that you'd supernaturally touch her right now. Pray that you'd heal her. Pray you restore her as she heads out and she sits and everything else. Pray that you just heal her right now, this moment, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
Thanks, guys. Thanks for helping and being in the mix. Thank you. I'll keep praying for her. So um, that moment, so Jesus cried in that place, and then he headed to heaven. said, guys, I'm leaving. I'm heading to heaven. And there's one more time it's spoken about the prophet Zechariah. And he gives a great picture of the final return of the king of kings. And look at what it says. I love this. It says in Zechariah 14, verse 4, it says, On that day, his feet will stand where? The Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. The Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the day when God returns once and for all, when he creates a new heaven and a new earth, on that day there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. Hope is at hand. Eternal hope is at hand. This world will one day end. No matter what you and I are going through, it's going to end. The risen king's returning. He's coming back. He'll defeat evil once and for all. He's defeated on the cross. Eternity, salvation is secure for you and I, but he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He will wipe away every tear. And whilst you and I live in the now, not yet, in the mess of the world, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Don't move away from the assignment he gave the disciples that he gave to you and I to see many people in our city come to faith. Don't quit when the going gets tough. We have a help of the Holy Spirit who he left for each of us. He'll give us all that we need. He will get you through the journey that lies ahead. Whatever trial you're facing, it can be turned into something beautiful in the hands of God, just as it was with Jesus at the cross. So I'd love us to pray. Shall we stand? Let's just spend a few moments waiting on the Holy Spirit. He's here. Just as Jesus said, wait for the helper to come. The helper came at Pentecost. He's here today. The Father is close. I don't know what pain or, or hurt you're carrying, agony or trial, something that happened to you many years ago, maybe a relational issue, maybe abuse, maybe something you've never shared with anyone. I want you to know that there is one called Jesus who understands and knows your pain and more. And you can come to him now and you can say, Father, that, that place of greatest pain in my life, Jesus. Would you come in and would you mend and would you restore? And he has the power to help you this very moment. So Lord Jesus, for anyone going through that, I pray that there would be a wonderful sense of your spirit resting upon them, comforting them, strengthening them. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're hearing this and you're going for the first time. I realize that I'm a broken person with sin that I will never get close to a perfect God on my own and that there was one who went to the cross for me. There was a perfect God who died in my place and I want a relationship with a God who loves me that much. I want a relationship with a God who would pay the price for my sin. And if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never asked them into your heart, everyone's heads bowed, but I'd, I'd love you to raise your hand. I'd love you to be bold and say, that's me. I've never given my life to Jesus. And just between me and God now, almost like you with Jesus in the garden, you're saying, that's me. I want a relationship with God. If that's you, no one's looking around. I'd love you to raise your hand. If you've never ever asked Jesus into your heart, I'd love you to raise your hand. I'm not going to single you out. Um, 
I'd love to see, but see the hand go up. That's great. Anybody else? You've never ever, thank you. See your hand as well. Anyone else? You've never invited Christ into your heart, into your life. A few hands going up. That's so special. No one else. No one else is looking around. That's great. Let me pray for you now. In this moment, and everyone's just agreeing you with you and with you, and we want to, you know, we want to celebrate. But you can just say now uh, to the Lord and your heart and um, quietness of your spirit. You can just say, Lord Jesus, I believe. You can just say, Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. Would you come in and change me? You can just say that. You can whisper in your breath. You can just say, Jesus, I believe. Would you come in? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you change me? And you'll sense him on you. You'll sense a spirit on you. This wonderful sense of peace and closeness to him. And right now in this moment, as you turn to him, there's nothing fancy you say. Scripture says so many different things. It says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord Jesus, the sinner on the cross, the robber on the cross, he just turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me. So it's a heart change. Repenting is a heart direction change. It's saying, Lord Jesus, remember me. And for those of you who raised your hands, you can put your hands now, down now. Right now in this moment, as you turn, you become a son and daughter of the living God. Thank you for being so bold. I'd love to chat to you afterwards, after baptisms or, or in the weekend. Please come chat to us or just write in a card. I, I gave my life to Christ. We'd love to follow up with you and serve you the best we can. Or if you're already in a connect group or you know other people, chat and share with them. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Thank you for, for life change today. And so for the rest of us here, and as we head out for baptism, as we go and celebrate seven people nailing their colors to the mast and saying, um, I want everyone to know what God's done on the inside. Thank you that you are close. Thank you that you, you went through what you went through for us. And we look eyes to the cross next week. We can't wait for what you have in store. Your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. So what we are going to do is straight after this, we are quickly going to head straight across the field. You'll follow past the tea and coffee straight across the